God and the God of the New Testament is the God of love. That is just total rubbish. Uh, the God of the New Testament is a very scary God. It is a, it is a scary thing to fall into the hands of, uh, of the God of the New Testament. That's what the writer to the Hebrew says. Um, but the God of the Old Testament is a loving God. His, his, his anger is loving anger. And his, his, his love is not sentimentality. And that's why the book of Hosea is such an important book to look at. So we're going to look at it. They're short chapters. It'd be good if you could read the chapters uh, before you come or have the, your device open in front of you so you can uh, follow what I'm saying. Um, and we're going to look at chapter 1 now tonight. Uh, my sister-in-law, she lives in London. Uh, she's got a knack of finding the most politically incorrect uh, greeting cards. She's really, really good at it. And uh, I, I'm going to apologize in advance for this one, okay? This is, this is a card that she sent to us on Valentine's Day. Now, she's a single girl, uh, and she's not married herself, and it wasn't sent on Valentine's Day. I think it was sent as a birthday card. Uh, um, but knowing, you know, that we're Welsh and we, we're into rugby, uh, she sent this card to us. You'll only appreciate it, really, if you understand rugby union. So apologies in advance if you don't understand rugby union. It's terrible when you tell a joke and then you have to explain it, isn't it? <laughs> but this is, this, is the card that, this is what the card that she sent. A couple are talking to each other on this Valentine card. And she says to him, would you be upset if I told you that I used to be a hooker? And he says, yes. Yeah. And he says, yes, I suppose I would, but I'd get over it. That's good, she says, because I used to be called Derek and I played rugby. <laughs> Okay, it's over your head. <laughs> but it, it, you know, if that shocked you, you're probably, um, uh, you know, probably not living in the real world anymore. It shouldn't really shock you nowadays. Um, but if that shocked you, I do apologize. But there is something even more shocking. And it's not on a Valentine's card. It's here in the Bible. It's here in this chapter of Hosea this morning. In verse 2, this afternoon, I mean. In verse 2 of chapter 1, God's, God says to Hosea, go marry a hooker. Eugene Peterson paraphrases it like this in the message. Find a whore and marry her. Make this whore the mother of your children. It is hard to imagine a less promising way to start off a marriage. Go marry a prostitute. God said that to Hosea. Isn't that cruel? I mean, why mess with Hosea's life in that way? Why break his heart? See, if God just wants a visual aid to illustrate his point, why couldn't he make something out of cardboard like they do in church and Sunday school? You know, why couldn't he just make something out of cardboard and color it in? Why command a faithful prophet to take an unfaithful wife? Why does God ask him to do that? Well, the answer is, of course, so that you and I might get a glimpse into the heart of God for lost humanity. How does God feel about us? How does God feel about the human race? Is he like a, a stern, critical head teacher wagging his finger at us whenever we break the rules? Is that how you see him? That's how a lot of people see him. That's often how he's preached in some of our churches. There's a lot of finger-wagging preaching going on in some of our churches, legalistic preaching, telling people how they ought to behave without giving them any motive for it. Is that how you see God as a, a critical, finger-wagging 
God? Or maybe you see him as uh, 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 kind of above everything, like an, an objective, indifferent uh, scientist in a white coat, you know, putting us through the ordeals of life dispassionately, like uh, as if we were some kind of like rats in, uh, in an experiment that he was conducting. Is that what's going on in the world today? Is that what God, the sort of God that we, we believe in? Is that the sort of God the Bible talks about? Or maybe you think of him as some kind of well-meaning uh, but incompetent politician who can't quite seem to run the world the way you and I think we should run it, he should run it. And to hear some people talk, yes, that's the way they do think about God. You know, he's not really totally in control. He's uh, subject to, uh, uh, you know, what happens on earth and he has to revise his plans, you know. He's like a politician who can't run the world quite as well as we think he should. Is that the God of the Bible? Or is he a lover whose heart is broken by our promiscuity? That's it, isn't it? That's the story of Hosea. And that's the picture here, right from the very beginning. You, you, see, you and I are not Hosea in this story. We have, to, uh, we have to avoid the temptation of identifying ourselves with the hero in the story. You're not Hosea. You're not the preacher. You're Gomer. You and I are ones who have, who have broken God's heart because of our sin and our rebellion. You see, God's relationship to humanity is like a marriage, and it's not a happy marriage. And this whole prophecy of Hosea, as we'll see, is, is all about the restoration of a broken relationship. And, and there's both warning and wooing in this book of Hosea, as we'll see. God is warning us and wooing us through the painful experience of Hosea, and he's calling us to return to him. It's an extraordinary story of unrequited love. And through it, God appears to us as a, a jilted lover, as a jealous spouse, and as a just God and Savior. Let's have a just look at it under those three headings. First of all, God the jilted lover. Sorry, I haven't had time to put up a, to do a PowerPoint, but just uh, think of it under those three headings. God the jilted lover. Verse 2, Hosea is told to marry a woman who will betray him, desert him, Disgrace him and break his heart. Now, just imagine, you know, imagine you're catching up with a, somebody, a college friend, perhaps, somebody you went through uni with or maybe even through Bible college with and you haven't seen them for years and, and you hear he's got married and you're looking forward to catching up again and uh, you're a bit surprised after all these years. You know, the, he's got a bit older, a bit, you know, fat around the tummy. Uh, but, you know, it hasn't been that long. And then you get to meet his wife. Uh, you'd heard about her. And you're a bit surprised. Her skirt's a little bit short and there's a bit too much makeup on her face. And, and then you learn that she's a sex worker. Awkward, isn't it? And Jose, Jose, you say, Jose, tell me about this. How, how did this happen? And he says, God told me to marry her. Do you see? This, this is a marriage made in heaven, he says. Shocking, isn't it? Now, I, I need to issue a warning about this. Um, uh, don't try this at home. This is not everything that's recorded in the Bible is meant to be done by us. You understand that, don't you? Not everything recorded in the Bible is meant to be copied. No, this is, 
This is God revealing himself to Israel in a very dramatic way. This is what the, well, the theologians call prophetic symbolism. You see this with a lot of the Old Testament prophets. Sometimes the Old Testament prophets were, were called upon by God to actually act out God's message because people had stopped listening to it. They, they, they'd stopped up their ears. They weren't listening to what the prophets, what God was saying through the prophets. And, uh, and uh, they were just presuming on, on God's goodness, you know, or God, God will forgive us. No, we're his people. God will forgive us. That's his job, isn't it? And, 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 and so God says to them, read my lips. See, he's, he, he is confronting his people here with their unfaithfulness in, in a very dramatic way. Every time the people saw Hosea walking around with Gomer on his arms, they got the message, didn't they? C.S. Lewis uh, reminds us that to love is to be vulnerable. Love anything, he says, and uh, your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to, uh, to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will never be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And God has made himself vulnerable in Christ. Let, let me just pause to apply this before we move on. Do you see what this really is, what this means, what it's telling us uh, tonight? Sin is a relational problem. Sin is not just breaking rules. Sin is breaking God's heart. The God who made us and wants us for himself and has given his son to die for us. Sin is to break his heart. Jim Packer uh, says this, he says it upsets, he's commenting on the, the Ten Commandments in, in a little book that he wrote, and, but he says this, he says it upsets, he uses this as an illustration, he says it's more upsetting for a man to learn that his wife is sleeping around than that the girl next door is doing it. Do you get the point? So, so God is, is, is outraged, he's broken hearted to find his own people unfaithful to him chasing after other gods as they were under the reign of, of Jeroboam II, worshipping Canaanite gods alongside Yahweh, the God who brought them out of Egypt and carried them through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. How do you think God feels when his people uh, treat him like that, when they, they turn their backs on him after all he's done for them? I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, you know, perhaps uh, in a small kind of way at a at a function or a party, uh, and a bunch of people talking amongst themselves, and uh, you try to join in. And instead of opening up the circle and including you in the conversation, they, they just turn their backs to you, and they exclude you. And that's so painful, isn't it, and so embarrassing. Maybe we've all experienced something like that at some time or another in our lives, to be excluded, to be uh, left out. and. And yet, that's what you and I have done to God. That's, that's, the, that's the nature of our sin and our rebellion. And, and if, let me say, if you've ever have been treated like that, either on, on, on social media or in the real world, 
or even in church, because it can happen in church too, can't it? If it's happened to you, if, if even now perhaps you might even be in a marriage like that, let me tell you, God knows your pain. He feels for you and he feels with you. One of the old hymn writers, Faber, put it beautifully in one of his hymns. He says, there's no place where earth's sorrows are felt more than up in heaven. But it gets even more interesting and even more shocking, I'm, I'm afraid. Uh, because God the jilted lover is also God the jealous spouse. Look at verses 4 to 9. There are children in this marriage. They have two boys and a girl. We had two boys and a girl. Uh, Hosea is not only to marry this woman, whose name is Gomer, but he's to have children by her. Uh, they have two boys and a girl, but there's a question mark over whether or not Hosea is the father of all three of those children. You can see that here in the text, if you look carefully. You notice the firstborn is certainly his in verse 3. It says, she conceived and bore him a son. But it doesn't say that about the other two. It just says in verse 6, she conceived again. Uh, and in verse 8, she had another son. I guess we'll never really know if Hosea is the father of those other two. I doubt if he knew. How painful is that? A, a broken marriage, a dysfunctional family. And just listen to the names of these kids. Call him Jezreel, God says in verse 4. I heard of a little girl whose parents called her Hiroshima. Imagine that. Well, this is on the same scale. Jezreel was the site of a bloody massacre in the Old Testament. Call him Auschwitz. Call him Columbine. Call him Port Arthur. Shocking, isn't it? The name Jezreel means literally God scatters. Israel is God's runaway bride. But it gets worse. Gomer has a daughter, verses 6 and 7. Whether Hosea is the father or not is a moot point. We just don't know. Probably not. And they call her, you notice there, verses 6 and 7, Lo Ruhama. Now, I've got a daughter. I've got two boys and a girl, and my daughter's name is Angharad. It's a Welsh name. <laughs> it comes from the word Cariad in Welsh. Cariad is the word for love in Welsh. And Angharad means very much loved. And she is very much loved. She did test us a bit during her teenage years, but she is very much loved. But this little girl is called Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. How heartbreaking is that? Imagine having a name like that in the school playground. See, this is God's word to his people. Jezreel, I will scatter you. Lo Ruhama, I will no longer love you or show you any pity. But it gets even worse. They have a third child, another son. Look at verses 8 and 9. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhama, we're told, Goma had another son. The Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Uh, this is the youngest, the baby in the family. I mean, just look at him. He looks so much like his mother, doesn't he? Yes, says Hosea, but he's not mine. And he calls the child not mine. This is the reversal of the covenant made with Abraham, isn't it? Repeatedly through the Old Testament, you'll find these words again and again when God renews his covenant with Israel. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. But now, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, you're not my people and I'm not your God. Do you get the message? Do you see what God's doing here? 
Wherever Hosea went with these three little kids, the message of judgment is being proclaimed. Whenever some little old lady stooped down uh, you know, and said, and what's your name, dear? They got the message loud and clear, didn't they? Do you, do you see how, how serious this is? Do you see what God is doing here? He is cancelling out his covenant almost, it seems. He's, he's reversing his marriage vows, it would appear. He's abandoning his people to their own devices. Perhaps you've, uh, you've been through this kind of ordeal yourselves, a messy divorce, an, an absent parent, a disloyal friend. If you've ever wondered what it feels like to be God, well, now you know. Derek Kidner puts it like this. I can't put it any better than, than the way he, which he puts it in his commentary. He says, God compares his situation not to that of an autocrat whose orders nobody dares question, nor to a, a father who rejoices in an adoring wife and children, but to that of a husband whose wife has left him and a father whose children are like strangers in his own house and are fast destroying themselves. So God is a jilted lover. He is a jealous husband. But, but notice how the chapter ends. This is going to be a short sermon tonight. This is the third point. Notice how the chapter ends. It ends on a note of hope. He is a just God and Savior. Look at verse 10. Yet, yet, the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. There seems to be such a, a kind of... Uh, uh, disconnect there, doesn't there? After all the, this message of judgment that's been coming through in, the, in this chapter, right at the very end of the chapter, and you'll find this in nearly all these chapters in Hosea, right at the very end of the chapter, there is this note of hope that, 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 that comes through. Yet, after all this warning and all this judgment that God has been proclaiming, yet, he says, the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore. That's what God promised Abraham. That, uh, uh, that's the language God used when he first entered into covenant with uh, with Abraham. He promised him that his seed would be more than the sand on the seashore and more than the stars in the firmament, more than can be counted. And, and, and that's, that's, that's what we're told here in verse 10, yet they will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. The Israelites, and see what it says, in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. Do you see that there? they will be called children of the living God. So when's that going to happen? Well, the New Testament tells us, doesn't it? Listen to these words of Paul in Galatians. When the time had fully come, Paul says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When the time had fully come in the fullness of time, in the very center point of history, if you like, when all the prophecies were fulfilled, God sent his son to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we're sons, he, sa he says, God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. A man walked into a, a, a bookstore. He saw in the window a book with the title, How to Hug. Being something of a romantic, he went in to buy the book and only to discover to his disappointment that it was just one volume in a massive dictionary covering the words how, 
to hug. <laughs> it's not quite what he was looking for. And maybe that's been your experience, you know, when you've come to church. You'd hope to meet with God, only to discover something as dry as a dictionary. Many have tried religion only to be profoundly disappointed. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, how many people turn to religion for comfort when there's some kind of national tragedy or a personal crisis. But, but turning to religion is like wanting a hug and finding a dictionary. Religion won't meet your deepest needs. God wants to give you a hug. That's the message of the gospel. He wants to embrace you in Christ. He doesn't want to keep you at arm's length. He invites you into his family. Uh, you know, it says about Jesus in John chapter 1 that uh, uh, he came into the world, the world was made by him, and the world didn't know him. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him, to those who believed on his name, to them gave he the right to be called children of God. Yeah, you who are not my people, you who are not my children, to them gave he the right to be called children of God. He invites you see, into us, not only into his family, but, but into his arms, onto his lap. He wants us to know that we are sons and daughters of the living God, dearly loved because of Jesus. So, so God's last word in this chapter is a word of hope, isn't it? Here is something you rarely see when relationships break down, a happy ending. We, we've seen bitterness and grudges and conflict and, and deep scars, and sometimes there's just a cooling off to the point of polite indifference to one another, but rarely do you see a couple get back together and be restored to the same, to the same sort of passion and romance and trust that existed before things went so badly wrong. But that's what God promises in the gospel. And that's what God promises here in these verses. After all the bitterness and, and brokenness, imagine how hard it must have been in that home, in that marriage. And after all the brokenness and bitterness, despite all of our unfaithfulness, God invites us back into a relationship of intimacy with him through Jesus. See, right at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, God's people are described not as the unfaithful people that we are, not as the promiscuous sinners that we are, but as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That's the last book of the Bible. That's the last chapter in the last book of the Bible. That's how the Bible describes God's people. As a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Let us rejoice and be glad, says John, and, and give him the glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Notice that. Given. Given her. That's grace. That's a gift. It's all of grace. Listen to what Martin Luther says about this in his book, The Freedom of a Christian. Who then, he says, he's commenting on that, who then, he says, can fully appreciate what this royal marriage means? Who can understand the riches of the glory of this grace? Here, this rich and divine bridegroom, Christ, marries this poor, wicked harlot, redeems her from all her evil, and adorns her with all his goodness. Her sins cannot now destroy her, since they are laid upon him and swallowed up by him. 
And she has that righteousness in Christ, her husband, of which she may boast as of her own, and which she can confidently display alongside her sins in the face of death and hell, and say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ, in whom I believe, has not sinned, and all his is mine, and all mine is his. That's it, isn't it? That's the gospel. Simple picture. Here are two, here are two students getting married, okay? All that I have, I share with you. <laughs> what do they have? Yeah, nothing. That's right. A hex debt. An overdraft in the bank. <laughs> they share the fact that they have nothing. And see, and when I am married to Christ by faith, when I put my trust in Jesus for my salvation, all that I have is his. And all that he has is mine. I've got nothing to contribute except the sin that I need to be saved from. And guess what? He takes that. He takes that upon himself. He takes all the guilt and all the shame of my sin. All the, the guilt and all the shame of, of, of Gomer's sin. He takes it all upon his own shoulders on the cross. And his perfect righteousness, his spotless, beautiful righteousness, he... It's wrapped around me like a cloak. And God sees me now in Christ. He doesn't see me in my sin. He sees me in his son. And I am accepted in the beloved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even there right in the Old Testament, uh, locked away in the book of Hosea, there is such a, a powerful and yet beautiful picture of your commitment to your bride to redeem us, to cleanse us from all sin, to bring us into your family and to give us your spirit. Lord, we pray as we go through this book on these Sunday afternoons for the next few weeks that you would really impress upon us just how much we are precious in your sight because of Jesus. I ask this in his name. Amen.